Welcome to the HDFS Careers Podcast, the podcast featuring informal conversations with family science majors about their professional journeys. My name is Erica Jordan. Today, I'll be sharing my interview with Dr. Katherine Cushenberry. I met Dr. Cushenberry through a recommendation from Dr. Jacqueline Benson, who connected with me on social media. Thank you for the recommendation, Dr. Benson. Dr. Cushenberry is currently the Executive Director slash Vice President of City Year Memphis. She earned a PhD in Human Development and Family Studies from the University of Missouri-Columbia. She also earned a Master's Degree in Organizational Communication from the University of Memphis and a Bachelor's Degree in Organizational Communication from Murray State University. In this episode, she shares the story of how she found the field of HDFS and her professional experiences to date. As is true for all interviewees on this podcast, Dr. Cushenberry's views are her own as a private citizen and do not reflect the views of her current, former, or future employers. Without further ado, here is her interview. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cushenberry. Oh, thank you, Erica. So grateful and so glad to be here. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so excited to hear all about your story and thanks for taking the time to speak with me during this very busy time. My pleasure. So before we start talking about HDFS specifically, I noticed that you have two degrees in organizational communication, and I thought that sounded really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about what that major is and what attracted you to it? Yeah, sure. So uh, I received my undergrad from Murray State University in 1996. Uh, and a master's in 98 from the University of Memphis, both in those areas. And during that time, Erica, actually, people had not, it was a burgeoning um, uh, field of study. And really what it focuses on are the different ways that people interact and engage in business environments, whether it's small group, interpersonal, large groups, organizational culture and change work. So how do we use communication as a tool to uh, improve the ways in which we work with uh, and with each other in in the workplace. And so uh, I loved it. I was making good grades in it in undergrad when I took it as an elective and it just caught my attention. I'm a firm believer that you should uh, major in something you really enjoy and that you can do well in. And I didn't understand where it would take me and I didn't even care. I was just glad to do something that I really enjoyed learning and uh, kept doing it through my master's. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it seems like you throw yourself into things and you really will immerse yourself and work hard when it's something that you're interested right. in. That does sound fascinating. It sounds similar to me to industrial organizational psychology, but I guess it's the, uh, the communication focus. Yes. Yeah. Yes, um, okay. So now how did you find the field of human development and family studies, especially because you loved organizational communication so much? So what attracted you to HDFS eventually? I did. I felt like I had uh, gained a lot of really great information in my master's and um, my bachelor's uh, degree experiences. Um, But I was actually driven to HDFS because I was becoming much more acutely aware. And when I say becoming, I was only 23, I think, when I joined, uh, when I I became a student at um, Mizzou for my PhD. But I was very intrigued by this whole notion that I was uh, the product of a single parent household, had been raised in poverty, Um, And all of the data was saying that I shouldn't be achieving, that I should have children and that out of wedlock. There's just all of these negative statistics and data, but I couldn't understand why I wasn't. I was literally driven and interested in the field by that question. Now, if you are an HDFS major or have uh, had any courses, you can probably imagine I got that question answered really, really quickly (laughs) during my time. You know, it's all of these other, you know, fictive kin and folks who are like family, extended family and the ways in which they fill the gap, as well as ultimately some community resources. 
Uh, but I was so intrigued by that question around family and relationships. And it, it actually was a, a natural, oddly enough, a natural progression from undergrad in that it still dealt with people and relationships and engaging with one another. It just took me down a different route. And I absolutely, again, another field that I ended up loving. And uh, that's how I ended up in that uh, degree of study. The area of study. I mean, and well, yes, you hit the nail on the head in a couple of ways too, right? Because HDFS is so interdisciplinary that it's related yes, it to so is. many things. Yeah, and, and <laughs> even within um, kind of some of the core content areas, interpersonal communication and just communication yep. in general is a key aspect. So it totally makes yep. sense. Um, how did you research doctoral programs? Like, what did you go about? I know that I felt like, I, in retrospect, I don't really feel that I knew what I was doing. Thank goodness I ended up <laughs> in a good, in a program, um, and had a great advisor, but you know, how did you go about researching doctoral programs and what else did you do to prepare for that doctoral program at Mizzou? Yeah, thank you for this question. Um, I think a lot like you, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. And sometimes you don't know what you don't know until after you've done something, you go, well, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> but for me, it was, I, I did know that I was interested in something relative to families. And so I started there as a search to see what kinds of programs had that for doctoral programs. Um, and then I started under, working to understand the different types of uh, universities, because even in my undergrad and master's, I went where I felt comfortable. I wasn't thinking about whether it was research one or how that would fall within the um, category of universities of elite or prestige. I, did, I just had not done that. So that was something that I paid attention to for the master's program. I'm sorry, for the doctoral program. Um, just looking at the type of university um, and then looking at the course of study. So what were the options? What were the different ways that I could be flexible to your point earlier around the different areas that I could study? How could I tie in the communication piece? Is there room for that? I also knew going in that, that and this was also in my plan of study. I, I, I've looked back at it recently. I was like, man, I knew I wanted to go into nonprofit management, but I wanted to be prepared for a research one institution. So that, that went into my planning. But more importantly, once I started narrowing down uh, potential schools, I took the time to visit and talk with folks uh, at the universities. And I will tell you uh, the, uh, what sold me on Mizzou was uh, the opportunity I had to sit down with Dr. Larry Ganong, who ultimately became my advisor. And I had a chance to talk with him and some others, but Larry especially, about the opportunity to learn and grow under um, all of the wonderful professors in that department. The other thing I looked at was uh, for the faculty, what were they studying? What, what had they researched? What were they writing? Um, and did that connect with me? Could I see myself there? Was there a, a place for me? Even in me not knowing exactly how I would use the degree, I was still curious about how I could fit. And so it was a combination of all of those things uh, that ultimately got me interested uh, and really helped me focus in on Mizzou as my option. And it, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's one of the biggest differences um, when you're looking for, especially you know, at the doctoral level, a doctoral program is what are the faculty members doing? Because that really does tailor mm -hmm. what your experience is going to be like, you know, their specific area of research. So uh, were you specifically interested in his line of research? Or if so, what type of research was he engaged in? Yeah, Larry, um, at the, I was interested because he and his wife, uh, Dr. Marilyn Coleman, 
uh, they were doing research on remarriage and step families, which was super interesting to me. Um, I don't know that I, because at the time when I met him, it wasn't so much that it was his research that caught my attention. I think he was one of the people that was available to talk to, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there were other research, other research that was going on around life cycle um, development, uh, lifespan development, just other things, early childhood development. It was like all of these interesting pieces. I still didn't know exactly where I fit. But I will tell you what made uh, the conversation with Dr. Ganong so uh, interesting to me was that for, because I, I was also the first person in my family to um, get a, ultimately to get a doctorate, um, I always had this perception of academic academics as like high on the hog, like super, you know, unapproachable and distant. And Larry was just so approachable. Yeah. He was so down to earth. And oddly enough, he knew one of my distant family members. He knew a Cushionberry, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> but it was almost like it was kismet. Everything just kind of aligned. And he represented for me um, uh, what I believed I could be as a, as a scholar. Um, and that was approachable, wise, warm. Um, and as I began my work, uh, I found him to be a great fit ultimately for uh, my advisor. So it was just like all the planets aligned and I still keep in contact with Larry. He is family to me. So it was isn't that ironic? My, my advisor in family studies is family. That is great. <laughs> ironic and wonderful. That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so what was your experience like in the graduate program? You've touched on it a little bit, and obviously you formed this really very positive relationship with your advisor, but what yes. were the other aspects of your graduate, or particularly your doctoral experience? Um, what was that like um, in terms of your classes and anything else that you did outside of classes? Yeah, I, I will uh, say this, that I think that the coursework was rigorous and it was um, intriguing to me because again, it was a new field of study. Um, I also really appreciated, again, the flexibility in my plan of study. So I had an opportunity to take courses outside of the department. Again, interested in nonprofit management, seeing courses on uh, program evaluation, qualitative research, quantitative. I felt like I got such a well-rounded experience at Mizzou. Goodness. Um, not only in the classroom, but also outside. I was able to be a teaching assistant, a research assistant. I was super fortunate. Um, when I was there, many of the graduate students were teaching course sizes of maybe 100, 120, and I had a knack for teaching. And so when the department decided to bring, to reduce the number of teachers, I ultimately got the opportunity to teach uh, all of those courses merged. So I had a class of 300 plus students and I had a teaching assistant as a graduate student. It was massive, but it was so wonderful. And I, I just attribute that to the department at the time, seeing talent in me and trusting me and um, to, to take on that really large task. Um, and that really gave me a lot of um, faith in even my own journey, that if you perform well, if you show yourself, then people will ultimately and can ultimately see it. And so I appreciate the department for modeling that and setting that expectation for my pathway because it has um, served me well uh, moving forward. But it's, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I had an opportunity to do some research projects with uh, various professors in the department. So 
so I got a chance to see what it, uh, what it was like to see research in practice, like in actually doing it qualitatively, quantitatively. I got a chance to play with different, and, and I don't mean literally play, but just kind of mess around with a bunch of different uh, analysis tools, so SPSS, SAS, um, and then at the time, Atlas TI for the qualitative tool. And at that time, it was nudist in Vivo. Yes. I'm, I'm dating myself here. I remember Vivo. Um, but it was, okay. So I had, I got a, a very well-rounded experience uh, within that department. And I'm grateful because what I tell students and I tell even my staff all of the time, and it's, it's not so much about the degree that you're getting. It's not so much even that the, it's the, the task that you do as part of your job. It's all of these skills that you're acquiring as part of that. So what does it mean to work in groups? What does it mean to um, be able to use a particular skill set in a way that is not your norm? How are you constantly evolving? And that's really when we get into my career, a lot of the things that I tapped into, I'll share this one last thing and then make room for your next question. Um, but one of the things that I learned from uh, Dr. Larry Ganong that I will never forget is, and I use it, every staff member since that time I've worked with will will quote me on this, and it's actually a quote from him, and that is, I can work with something, can't work with nothing. So when I, where people say I have writer's block, I never experienced that because I had a, a mentor, an advisor who gave me such wisdom. He's like, put something on paper and then edit from there. But you worrying about what you're going to write down, you'll get nothing, and I can't edit, I can't support if you don't have something. So it's those kinds of skills that have been translatable and transferable across my career that I've taken with me. And it started at Mizzou. Absolutely. I love that so much. I mean, beyond writing, because, you know, I feel I, I know myself as a student. I see it in my own students. I yeah. see it in my friends and colleagues. Yep. I mean, that procrastination will sometimes it just, is real. Uh, it will keep you frozen in fear, <laughs> frozen in fear, frozen it's in anxiety. Real. Uh -huh. Yes. And it's yeah. like, no, just get something down. Yeah. You know, just take that. That first step is always the hardest. Just yes. take it. Yes. And then you can work with something. I love that quote. Dr. Larry Ganong, I'm giving him all the credit. Larry, if you hear this, thank you. It is the gift the credit. that keeps thank on you. giving. <laughs> yes, we're going to spread it. That and extra bonus points in my heart. He would always say that too. Like you wouldn't really get the bonus points. There were none to be given, but just in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> just in my heart. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, so it's it, that's wonderful that you had a very positive experience in your doctoral program, and you also hit on this fact. Oh, what it, what you're really touching on is experience, which is something that we see come up time and time again. Yeah. So yes, of course you need to get the basic knowledge. You know, of course you need to do what you need to do to complete the class, but. Right that's the very beginning yeah. <laughs> what matters most is yeah. you know kind of the skill set and how what you do with yeah. the information that you're picking up along the way the skills that you pick up and you know it you pro uh you proved yourself and that just continued to open more experiences as you went along with your program i mean my mind is sitting there boggling uh, i know some of my colleagues would be running away from a 300 something person class <laughs> But you took it on yeah, and they really want to trust you to do so and they knew you would do a good job. Yeah, it was great. And you know, the other thing I'll add, I would be remiss if I didn't, was that the other opportunities that I was able to have around gaining work experience as well, I, uh, as part of my assistantship, I actually had an opportunity to work with 
the Missouri State 4-H office under Dr. Linda Jo Turner. And I gained so many skills around grant writing and program mm -hmm. management, program development. I had an opportunity to lead um, uh, Cheers to the Designated Driver, which at that time was the state uh, designated driver program. I was the manager for Missouri. Um, there were just so so many opportunities that I, along with teaching and re, I was a hardworking grad student, um, but yeah. I was so hungry for the experience. I, I wasn't there just to take courses. Uh, and I had a great time as well. I was so amazed, Erica, to go on campus as a 23-year-old uh, Black young lady and to see so many, to meet so many other young Black graduate students who to this day are my friends, they are my family. Um, I always on my social media do hashtag Mizzou fam, Dr. Antonio Tillis, Dr. Stephen Bradley, Terrence Farmer, Dr. Michelle Bordere, Dr. Terrellyn Carter. I mean, and I could go on and Brandon, um, Brandon Edwards, who we lost this last August. It, oh, I've gained a family as well. So I'm grateful, to, always grateful to Mizzou for this. Yes, I mean, I, I, I could totally, um, totally agree with what you're saying. I know uh, we had the African American Graduate Student Association at the University of Alabama where I attended, and yes, they became like family. I, I, it, I mean, we had we were all constantly over at somebody's house at each other's yep. houses, hanging out, um, and I just don't think that I would have made it through. <laughs> the grueling dissertation no. process and those graduate school years without that family, especially, you know, being like, as you said, um, a woman and also a woman of color, a yes. black woman. I wouldn't have, let me add two more names just so in case they hear it, they don't, they okay. don't take me down. Dr. Kelton Edwards and Dr. Maureen uh, Allwood Goucher um, Ojuku. So I'm just grateful. Great group. She of didn't people. forget you. She no, didn't did forget you. Forget <laughs> Um, that's wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so now as you got closer to graduation, yes. um, what were you thinking? What were your plans? Did you have any plans <laughs> for after graduation? Uh, just how were you preparing for that? And you know, how were you feeling about the end of your graduate school process approaching? Uh, yeah, I knew by that time I was pretty sure because I'd even started interviewing and looking at jobs in the academy, but I knew that was not where my heart was, even though we were being trained in that way, like the majority of the um, PhD graduates were going on to teach at universities and colleges and research. Um, I knew I wanted to go into nonprofit management um, and so when I, and also when you, when I looked at the academy, of course, you have to go where the jobs are. And uh, I didn't want to go anywhere where those jobs were. And I didn't want the job. So I actually moved to Los Angeles while I was working on my dissertation proposal. And I remember Larry saying to me, Catherine, if you leave the campus while you're at the stage, you're not going to finish. And I was like, Larry, then you don't know me. Um, so I, um, I actually moved to Los Angeles and if, Defended my proposal, I think, in um, December of two, 2003, and in May I was hooded because I defended my dissertation in April 2004. Um, so while I was out in Los Angeles, I was working in nonprofit at Children's Home Society of California, getting up at four in the morning, writing, calling to the statistician to help me support me around SAS writing on my lunchtime, and then hanging out with friends in the evening before I needed to do it all over again. Um, and then I started, after I finished my degree, I then started a consulting business. So 
it was uh, just me being very clear that, um, you know, w there are some people who say, I'm just waiting for, you know, either God or something to tell me which direction to go. We are humans of choice and you got to know yourself. And at that time, I knew I didn't want to go into the academy. I was very sure about nonprofit work as my direction, uh, even with a doctorate. I was like, I'm taking this doctorate, but it will show up later somewhere. But I need to do what I, I love doing. And that's what I did. Absolutely. The, um, uh, uh, yeah, the four in the morning. So I, <laughs> you didn't just move to California. You moved and you were working full time out yes, here at Sam. I was. Okay, so, yeah, so that's why he was nervous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can, they, they usually are like, no, 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 don't do it. Yep. But clearly, you were very determined. I was. Um, I, I had a friend who she, yeah, she moved cities. She just needed a change. She yeah. Just yeah, I was I, I was I was still I think when as I was finishing up, I was 28 mm -hmm. um, and still, you know, wanting to see the world and wanting to explore. Um, but I am grateful. Again, you just have to know yourself. And right. if you make and for me, it was I knew that was a commitment I made. I don't start something if I'm not going to finish it. I committed that. And so it also did me because Larry had invested in so much in me during my career as a graduate student. I wasn't going to let him down. I wasn't going to let myself down first, but I certainly wasn't going to, to let him down. And so, um, but again, I knew what path I was going to take. And if I could just throw this in here for any potential students who may listen to this podcast is, you know, I am very clear and I'm always rocking from a place of uh, transparency, Erica, is I knew that my pathway was not the desired pathway for graduate students leaving with a PhD from that department, from that university. I was very clear on that. I knew it. I knew it wasn't a pride of the university. I knew that. But look at me today. I'm on this podcast. Absolutely. Talking to you today. So really, it's all, again, when you follow your path and you are sure about what your skill sets are, the ones you want to develop, when you walk that path, it doesn't matter if people understand it. It doesn't even matter if people like it. Get that degree. It's something no one can take away from you and you walk your path. Exactly. Yeah, because you... Only you can live your life. There you go. <laughs> if you don't make your choices, someone else will make them for they you. They will, and sure. it won't be fun. And it will not be fun. No, it feels like <laughs> a prison if you're living a life that's not the life you wanted to live. That's I right. mean, if you, if you know that you didn't take a chance to pursue what you wanted. So, true. Um, so also, I just want to point out the discipline that you had. So I was also working full time by the time that I finished my dissertation. And I remember being in there on the weekends, like on the, locked up in the, in the office working on my dissertation. So I just want to highlight that discipline that you had to wake up at 4 a.m. To, to work, to maintain communications with your university, but then also, you know, to make time for that self-care. You mentioned that you would still squeeze in, you know, trying to hang out with friends and mm -hmm. things in the city and just kind of ensuring that you were taking care of yourself as well. Um, I just, I just um, applaud you and that's, that's a, definitely wow. demonstrates a level of um, maturity and the level of growth that you had to balance oh, so many you. things and also to prioritize, be brave enough to prioritize the path that you knew was the right path for oh, you for sure. right out of the gate with your, with your PhD. For sure. Thank you. 
Um, okay, so what did you end up doing right after graduation? Did you continue working with Children's Home Society in LA for a while or did. did you make a switch right away? Okay. Yeah, I worked for Children's Home Society of, uh, of, Cal of California um, for a little while longer. And as I mentioned, I started a consulting business. I was like leaning into all of these different skills I'd acquired during grad school around program evaluation, grant writing. I was like, I want to see what it's like to work on my own. I'm here in LA where there are all these opportunities. Let's do it. So I did, and um, I actually acquired clients in Los Angeles, uh, even some back in my hometown of Memphis. But the most interesting and amazing client was one that I'd gotten in the Philippines. And it was a, a proprietary school um, that was film and television. Um, and they were in three years into their start startup and needed a redirect. And this was an opportunity for me to tap into all of these skills along with work culture and change work and so I won the uh, RFP, the request for proposal, and I moved to the Philippines and lived and worked there. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, thank you. It was a wonderful experience. Um, it, was, um, it was global in that I was working with people from all over the world, and especially having a chance to uh, immerse myself in the Filipino culture. I was on the island of Cebu uh, in the central Visayan region of the Philippines, and I just learned so much. So it allowed me to bring some of that higher ed knowledge to the school. But the other interesting part that is a little known fact is that I've been in theater throughout my life. And then when I lived in LA, I was doing um, independent filmmaking and uh, improv even while I was working on my dissertation. What were you not doing in LA? Oh my goodness. So it was, I was able, <laughs> but I believe you this. <laughs> perform? <laughs> You have to pull from everything. Like that's the thing is when when you are looking for opportunities, you have to be able to to sell all the things that you've done. So it was like everything yeah. aligned and this opportunity came up and I was able to live and bring all of this the skills I had acquired to that date to that experience. And it was it was life changing. I knew also inherently, this is before people started really looking at working abroad as a like a thing you know it's a it's a perk on your cv or resume i was like this is going to be important at some point this is going to be meaningful yes. and every time it hasn't failed every time i mentioned it, people you like the response you had they're like what you know yes. and uh and, and i had a chance to work with global environments so um it was a wonderful experience uh after i left there um and i had an opportunity to stay but something very divine said go home and i thought it was to um, Los Angeles and it was like, no, go home. So I ended up coming back to Memphis um, for a short time. Uh, do you want me to keep going, Erica, or you want? You, is there a question before I talk about I this do, career? I do want you to keep going. <laughs> I am interested to hear more about this theater, but then I'm also interested to hear more about you going to Memphis. We have plenty of time though. So you okay. just All right. you keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back to Memphis still doing consulting. It just wasn't as, it wasn't thriving the way that I needed it. So I was like, well, you know, I'll pick up a grant writing job and it was for a boys and girls club just about an hour outside of Memphis. It was part-time. I was like, I'll just do that. So I um, started, took the job to grant. I got the job and was part-time grant writing. And within a month, I moved from a grant writer to part-time grant writer, to part-time resource development director, to part-time development director, I'm sorry, to full-time de development director, to the executive director. 
What I did not know was that when the executive director interviewed me, he was planning to leave and had tapped me as his successor just through the interview process. So I ended up working for a Boys and Girls Club, which if you know nonprofit, it's a federated system. So that means that each of them are their own 501c3s and they are affiliated uh, with the National Office of Boys and Girls Club. So I did that for about three years and um, I became very interested in the national work of nonprofits. And I was like, I really want to work at a national organization. And guess what? I saw a position with the National Office of Girls, Inc., as the director of research. Now, I've talked about me going from Children's Home Society to the Philippines and film and Boys and Girls Club on the ground, research. Well, the entire time, even after leaving Mizzou, I kept teaching so, and, and staying connected to research. So I was teaching at Cal State Los Angeles. Um, I was, of course, doing the work over in the Philippines, but when I got to Jackson, Tennessee, I also taught for Union University and started teaching graduate level research methods courses and also leading research projects. So it was nice to be able to take this perspective of having worked on the ground and led a nonprofit in a federated system, having research experience and applied research experience, and it made me a strong candidate for the role. And so I got it. I moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, and led the research for Girls Inc., which is a national nonprofit that had over 80 affiliates in the U.S. and Canada. And I led the research department for five years. Um, had a wonderful experience, but um, as you can already tell from my journey, I'm very aspirational. I was like, I want to lead a national nonprofit. Uh, so I saw the opportunity to become the National Executive Director for Parents for Public Schools, which is based out of Mississippi, but I could still work remotely from Indiana. And I got that role and led that organization until, uh, and I think I did that for about two and a half years. Um, and then I saw the opportunity for me to come back home to my hometown of Memphis and bring all of those skills and become the Executive Director and Vice President with City Year Memphis, which is a national organization. We are not federated. Um, in that our sites are their own 501c3. We're all working together as one big 501c3 across the country. So that's where I stand now. Uh, and I've been here now for three years and it's been phenomenal to, uh, and when I came here to Memphis, City Year Memphis had only been here a year and it was a startup year just to see if it, if it was a viable market. And when the national office said, yes, it is, let's hire someone to lead it, they hired me and it's been wonderful to build this organization with an amazing team in a hometown that I love. Uh, and I'm just super excited and grateful that I've had the chance to do that and also do lead some work for the national office as well. So it's been beautiful. It's been a beautiful journey so far. It sounds like it. Very exciting. I mean, lots of variation there. That's imp um, important to note, yes, that you still continue to teach. Oh, yeah. And then even in teaching in that, that uh, teaching the research methods class, you were able to tie that back in. And I know that the people at Girls Inc. were over the moon <laughs> when they realized they could get someone to direct their research who would actually led yep. a nonprofit themselves. And so, because that is that's so difficult to find. Yeah. Well, um, and on top of that, I also I did add this that I when I got to Indianapolis, I was teaching for Marion University for their TFA students uh, research methods or masters in teaching um, courses. And then also teaching for the joint campus of Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, so IUPUI. And I actually am still on uh, record faculty there. And also with Indiana State University, I am uh, on two now dissertation co uh, committees for them. So I'm still staying connected to the academy even today. 
you keep your hand in that. Got to. But in, yes, you keep your hand in, in but in a way um, that's on your own terms. So that's you, right. you can stay involved. That's right. Um, but then also you're freed up to do some of the other things yeah. that you're very passionate about. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me about City Year. What is City Year all about? And um, yeah, because uh, this is my, I grew up in Memphis too, but it wasn't there when no, I was around. No, it wasn't. I'm interested to learn about it. <laughs> Thank you so much for this question. It's my joy to always have an opportunity to speak about City Year. City Year is a national nonprofit. Uh, we are an AmeriCorps program and we're based out of Boston. We've been around since um, 1988 uh, as a national organization. We have young adults who are AmeriCorps members who are giving a year of service in cities across the country. We have 29 city year sites. Memphis was the 28th. Buffalo was the 29th. Our young AmeriCorps members, young adults are serving in schools to provide gap services. So helping students um, in under-resourced communities, under-resourced schools get on track for on-time graduation. That's our ultimate goal. And we're also honed in very much around educational equity. Our core members being in the schools, we're helping students in, in uh, and we're providing those supports around attendance. We know the students have to be there to get that instructional time. Uh, we talk about behavior, but we more, we most love talking about social emotional learning, those skills that will uh, be able to sit with them and take, they can take that throughout their lifetime. And we also hone in on two specific areas around coursework, English language, arts, and mathematics. We know uh, our research shows that when students are on track by 10th grade, they're two to three times more likely to graduate on time. So our AmeriCorps members are near peer to students. I can, students, I'm 45, they don't find me as interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 18 to 24, 25 year olds can really connect with our students. And what we're finding in this time of COVID is that even how our service looks is different because our core members are in schools from the time students get there to the time the last after school student leaves. Um, our core members also, just to note, they do get a, a modest living stipend while they're serving with us and they also get an education award at the end that they can use to pay down their college debt or pay toward their college education. Um, so it's just been wonderful to, um, we're entering our fourth year here in Memphis. We have uh, 50 AmeriCorps members serving across uh, different school partners. We serve specifically in public schools, though we're agnostic. It could be a traditional public school or it could be charter. We find ourselves here more than anything in charter schools. Um, but we love the work. I love leading this work. Um, I'll share this with you, Eric, and then I'll pause. There are a lot of people who are always thinking about like, what am I meant to do here on this earth? What is my life about? Why am I here? You know, these big questions. And what I'm a firm believer of is that if you look at your trajectory and look at some of the things that have happened across your life, where you have found yourself being and how you've served, that gives you really good insight in terms of uh, who you are to the world around you. And uh, what I've learned is that my niche really is pouring into young professionals and professionals at large. Like, how can I, it's almost like life coaching, but not, I don't get paid to do it. Um, I just work with the potential of young uh, folks or even professionals of any age to really encourage their development. And so being able to do this work in City Year has positioned me beautifully to be able to uh, be a part of the lives of so many young adults who come through our program and now are doing amazing things. Many of them are teaching, uh, some in med medical school, some have gone back to undergrad, some of them are in grad school. Uh, it's just been brilliant and, and, and we're now have, we now have 50 new folks that are, well, about 50 that are new because although it's a year of service with us, they have an option to serve a second year. 
So it's just okay. been wonderful to lead this work and to, to make sure that this resource is available to students who were like us here in Memphis. We were students yes. here in Memphis. To have this resource available to them is uh, for many of these students and their families and their communities will truly be life-changing. I mean, and yes, I mean, you never really can't, it's like that old cliche. I mean, you never know where your influence ends, but truly you do not. <laughs> because, you don't. Um, yeah, I hate to say it because it's cliche, but it's the truth. Um, you know, you are uh, providing this mentorship to young professionals and the young professionals are providing peer-like mentorship to students and it's helping, um, it's helping students to graduate on time and helping them to go on and be successful. And it's a very uh, a powerful um, position and yeah, you have the potential to do and you are doing a lot of influence for good. Um, yeah, so um, can you just tell me a little bit about your typical day? Uh, this sounds like there might not be a typical day, but <laughs> there is, maybe your typical week or month. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I will do my best. I will tell you that today, this conversation with you is the eighth meeting of my day. Um, and okay. each meeting has been something very different. So from day to day, from week to week, I'm having conversations with uh, funders, those who currently support City of Memphis, potential funders, those who see an interest and an opportunity to invest in us. Uh, thinking um, as a strategist with my board members, having time with them individually, as well as a board meeting that's coming up this week, this Friday. Um, it could also, my weeks could also include time with our AmeriCorps members. So I will uh, sometimes lead trainings where needed. Um, I have, of course, staff members who report to me. So again, it's not just about the task and the work for me. It's also how am I pouring into my team members to make sure they feel equipped and ready and, and can grow as part of my leadership. My time is also sometimes spent in uh, partnerships, partnership meetings. We cannot do this work alone and uh, I don't want us to. Our students, our communities are made better when we're working in cooperation with one another. So I have uh, co cooperative, cooperative meetings um, with others. The last thing I would say, uh, just in terms of how my time is spent, is because I'm part of a national organization, there are meetings and conversations about national issues um, as part of a larger network. So whether that is around, uh, it has been risk assessment, whether it's about, uh, I serve on the external evaluation committee for the national office. So looking at our national, uh, nationally driven research projects. So it could range from a little bit of everything um, that is a that that encapsulates this role as being a leader within a national organization and leading on the ground uh, for a local work. So it could be all of those things in any um, in any direction, as well as of course those emergency calls you get from team members, staff members saying, yes. "I need this." So it's it's ongoing, long days, but I love it. I love the work. It definitely sounds like you have to be a jack of all trades. <laughs> you, you do. <laughs> yeah. Let's not uh, include budget and finance and that's what uh, marketing I was just about to talk to you about. <laughs> that's what I was just about to talk to you about. Yep. So I remember being a doctoral student and listening to a panel. Um, it must have been a panel for new professionals or new faculty or something. And but there was this president of a university who was sitting on the panel, and she said, 
You know, I would recommend that anyone take a finance class because you just never know. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so um, I, my question to you, it sounds like, yes, you have to do the business aspect. You're doing the training and education piece. You're um, in the community engagement piece. You're developing those strategic partnerships and maintaining them. You're in the development side, like you're doing fundraising. Yes, yes. Essentially, um, you know, very strategic fundraising. And then... Um, also, the research and evaluation side. I've, I've, clearly, you have a lot of experience in the research, and then also the kind of the community piece, I yes. mean, because that's been so much of your life, and then even the education piece. Um, the business side, I guess you have some previous experience. Yes. But I just wanted to ask. I think a lot of people sometimes are intimidated about that. Yeah. You know, what advice would you have for people um, in terms of? picking up those skills. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think a course on finance is always good. I think where there is a misconception is that nonprofit management is different from other businesses. And that is such a misnomer. Um, it is a misconception all the way around. Um, it is important to know uh, how to balance your books, how to um, uh, assess and project your revenue it's important for you to know how to cut expenses um, and to know where your expenses are and how to budget accordingly so that as you are going throughout your year, your expenses align, your actual expenses align as much as possible to your proposed or projected. All of those pieces, understanding what it means to build a reserve of funds. Some people think the nonprofit management is you only budget what you need for the year and you zero out the rest of the year. Not true. That is not what this is. This is business. So, you know, we're always thinking about the longevity of the organization, um, understanding what an endowment is. How does that work? How do you get um, different types of funds for the long haul, bequests as an option? Um, just so many ranges of ways that revenue can be established, but you have to have a, 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 a strong sense of budgeting or else you'll raise money and you'll squander it. Uh, nonprofit funds as with anyone, it's a, it's a scarce resource. You wanna make sure that people trust you with uh, these investments because that's exactly what it is. It's an investment, they call it grant, you can call it whatever you want, but it's an investment. So yeah, there's a strong business acumen that has to be there. And I wanna give a shout out to every nonprofit leader because we're so underrated in terms of the various, to your point, all of the skills that we, sets we have to use. I've had to do marketing, PR, uh, finance, development, um, but all of those things come with time and experience as well as, again, a strong finance and business class doesn't hurt. Um, yes. But it's the experiences. The grant, I will credit um, the University of Missouri um, for the experience with Missouri State 4-H where I started grant writing. Two weeks ago, I found out a grant that I wrote for $750,000 for one year was funded. So about, thank you. It's about the skills and the like being super well-rounded. It's, it's not just one area. And I think that's what's been a strength of mine as a leader is that because I've had so many experiences that when I'm leading my team in these various areas, I have, I have the knowledge to, to do so. And it's not me. Certainly I want them to be ex experts at what they're doing specifically, but I'm not naive to the range of the work. Yes. Huh. Now that 
just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not off in La La Land. That actually, though, has um, made me really interested in another sure. question that I don't normally ask, sure. but that I want to ask you. Okay. <laughs> um, so because you are so well-rounded, because you have so many strengths, because you have so many experiences that you bring to the table, and yes, we are giving a shout out to all those other nonprofits, who are, <laughs> uh, nonprofit leaders who are doing an amazing yes. job, uh, but we do know that nonprofit work, that's an area that's a high risk for burnout, maybe potentially for some of the reasons that, that yeah. we've mentioned, you know, yeah. that you do have to, um, there's so many, it draws on so many different types of skills and you have so many responsibilities. Yeah. I guess I have a bit of a two prong question. Sure. First of all, what do you do um, to engage in self care yourself? And then at being someone who is multi-talented, you know, you have so many different strengths. How do you focus um, how do you decide where you're going to focus your energy um, and then what things, you know, you're going to say, Hey, that's, that's a good opportunity, but that's yeah. not my focus right now. Yeah. So two things, let me share one thing as I'm answering that question. I think that there is certainly the potential for burnout in nonprofit work um, as with any field, really, if you, if you are, True. you're really deep in it, but I made a very clear, in addition to knowing that I wanted to go into nonprofit management, I think the experience with HDFS really helped me hone in around that my skills and there are people who, let me say this, there are people who use their gifts and talents toward arbor, so trees and nature, and there are folks who use it in field, in areas like humane society, caring for animals. My skills, I've been very intentional about honing them in around children, youth, and families. Mm. That's, that's where my gifts go to, and that's what drives me. That's what, that is what I'm passionate about. That's what keeps me going. Um, so I think the self-care part for me is knowing myself well enough to know when I need to step away. Um, and what does step away look like for me? It doesn't look the same for everybody. I know that I am still wanting to be engaged to a degree. So um, I know, so the other, yesterday, for example, I took the day off and for the whole morning, I didn't look at email. I didn't do anything. I just did things around the house. But when I had a natural inclination to say, well, let me peek. I can peek at my email, <laughs> right? I peeked, but I also knew that I could, I, it wasn't something I needed to uh, respond to. That's part of leadership too, is knowing that you don't sometimes have the opportunity to fully step away. Now, there are times when I will, um, probably once a year or twice, I will take an overseas international trip. It's hard now, thanks COVID. Um, but that's right. when I would really disconnect. So I would redirect my team or they would come together and we have this WWCD philosophy. What would Catherine do? Y'all figure <laughs> it out. And then I'm going to step away. But if it's a day to day, just kind of it's knowing yourself. So my self care can be working on a home project, taking walks, going to get a massage, taking a weekender somewhere, um, cooking. I love to cook. So I will actually as a as a de-stressor especially now I will cook while I'm on a zoom meeting. They will watch all of it. Y'all going to get everything. Okay. I'm yes. getting everything. Uh, so those are ways that I, I, I self care And the way that I, when I'm uh, using these different skills in different ways, yeah, you can't throw everything at everything. Um, so I always use this philosophy and I think this is even something that I picked up from Larry and that is to keep the main thing so what is it that we're, as an organization, as a leader, what am I honed in on? A, what are the top two, top three priorities? What are we trying to achieve? What are the things yes. that will move us there? What are, I'm always thinking about filtering. 
and I push my team in this way, like, what are we doing that we shouldn't be doing? That doesn't add value, that isn't a return on an investment, the ROI. And so I manage my work in that way. I always refer to it also as triaging. I'm taking a medical term here that, like, what is the thing that I need to be doing now, right now? And then what are the other things that will phase in, right? And also, how have I gotten some things started for the things that are phasing in? So I try to be super methodical, uh, very strategic about how I spend my time and which skill sets I pull out at certain times. Um, there are times when I'm doing a presentation where I will pull out the improv and I will make people laugh or I will go off script to address something that someone asked or I can observe something in the audience. Um, so I pull out that skill at that time. You know, so it's just like all of these skills and abilities they are um, wonderful tools in my toolkit, but just like any other, like a mechanic, he wouldn't dump everything and say, I'm using everything on every car, because every right. car doesn't, whatever you're working on, doesn't require every tool. So that I try to be very thoughtful about what I pull out when and for what reason, but I'm super grateful to have such a toolkit that is so diverse that I think allows me to be a highly effective leader. And because I love the work so much, because I'm so passionate about nonprofit, I will tell you there has not been one time during the span of my career where I, I thought I'm done, I'm over it. I, not once. All I'm thinking about is how do I get deeper? How do I climb higher? How do I become even more an influential leader in this nonprofit space? How do I work even more nationally, even more internationally? Because I love what I do. And when you know yourself, then you want to position yourself for those opportunities because you know yourself. Yes. And I love that. So the toolkit, just because you have all the tools, that doesn't mean you have to use them all no, at don't the same dump time. Them. No, no, don't dump, <laughs> don't, them out. don't dump them all out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the triage, you triage and you keep the yes. main things, the main things. That's, That's right. very good. That's yeah. Right. I think, um, you know, sometimes people can, I don't know, they, they feel like, you know, just because they can do things, they, they have to do it all right now yep. um, or there won't be an opportunity. But um, I, I like that analogy of the toolkit. Thank you. Um, okay. So to close, I always ask this double barrel question. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, ready Bracing myself. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that I didn't ask? And also, is there any advice that you have for students or new professionals in the field? Sure. Um, I think I'll start with the latter, and that is the advice that I would have, and I hope it uh, comes up in what you've heard around my life, and that is uh, walk your path. Walk your path and get to know yourself and be honest about yourself. There are some people who say, I'm a singer, and they're like, yeah, no, you're not a singer, <laughs> right? You're not a singer. Know yourself. Know what your strengths are. Look at the trends. Um, look at how you're consistently performing in certain areas. Are you strong in this area? Is this an area where you're okay, but you can do better? Or is this not at all your thing? Like truly know yourself and be okay, because that's what's going to help you walk your path. Um, I also would encourage them all to read The Alchemist if they haven't read it by Paulo Coelho. It's just a- I love that book. <laughs> one of my favorites. And I reference it often because uh, I really feel like this uh, is part of my career that I've been walking. I've been on a journey. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, I'm, uh, I'm giving a spoiler here. For me, um, my treasure actually came back home. That's where mm -hmm. I found my treasure. So I, I want to just encourage folks to walk their path. Be fearless. On the other side of fear is opportunity. Um, trust yourself. Um, and you trust yourself because you will know yourself. 
the um, anything else I would add just to this journey relative to especially our conversation uh, about the department in my experience and that is you know for every graduate student remember that this is your experience for any student it's your experience the professors and listen you can edit this if you want to but I must say it. <laughs> the professors have their um, research agendas they know they have grants that they're working on or grants that are being that's funding their work they have their path make sure that as you're pouring into their uh, pathways and what they have in front of them that is their chosen profession make sure that it can that you are leaving with skills and tools that you can use as well for your pathway don't give so much to other people that you get nothing out of it yourself Make sure you know what you're you're working toward and get those skills and walk your path and do so boldly because you never know the path that seems so weird, so odd, you very well might find yourself on a podcast um, <laughs> 16 years later having a conversation about that journey. Oh, I love that. I've got goosebumps. It also oh. reminds me of a quote that I see sometimes on social media. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. Yes, it and is. So, yeah, oh, just true. not being afraid to take that uncharted path, yes. um, take the road less traveled. And I won't edit that out because actually, I don't even have a research agenda. That wasn't my path. <laughs> <laughs> my path is this quirky type of, you know, obsession yeah. with HDFS career <laughs> and teaching. I and so, yeah. It. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I walked away. You know, people thought some people thought I completely lost my mind, you know, but I, I had a yeah. tenure track position. Yep. Um, as I was on the traditional tenure, tenure track. Yep. And I, I left that because yes. I was like, this is not walk my path. path, Erica. <laughs> you you walk have path. To. The, the last thing I'll add also, uh, which was a, um, a wonderful lesson I learned for those graduate students, uh, make sure you're choosing your committee based on people who are going to support you interview yes. them ask them about their research ask them let them know how you work and what you will need and if they cannot give that to you keep it moving find your right combination know who are the strong personalities know whether or not they get along you your it is your responsibility to build a committee that will support you and know that your dissertation is not going to be your last greatest work get it done do it with excellence and graduate Exactly. <laughs> a good dissertation is a done dissertation. No, get it done. That's a good one. Get it done. Get it. Find somebody who will support you in getting it done. That is That's so right. true. I mean, yeah, without without supportive advisors, I mean, you can't get anywhere. Can't so. go anywhere. Yep. Yes. That's, oh, such great words of wisdom. Oh, thank um, you. I cannot wait to share this with uh, other students. And I just oh, want to thank you so much for your pleasure. time. It's my pleasure. And Erica, if we can do this again, it would be my pleasure. Um, I'm so grateful that the department thought of me. I'm super, I've been joking around about, well, not really joking about the, the pathway <laughs> thing, but I'm grateful and I'm honored. I love uh, what I experienced at that department. There are people I love who uh, I met through this department and I'm, I'm happy to do whatever I can to support. So please know this is, this is, um, I hope this won't be our last time. I hope not. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the HDFS Careers Podcast. If you have recommendations for HDFS or other family science alumni to interview, please reach out to me at hdfscareers.com. Don't worry if they're not working in a job that would normally be considered in the field. 
I'm interested in hearing a variety of stories, especially if they're working outside of academia. If you like this podcast and want other people to be able to find it, please rate it and review it in iTunes or share it on social media. Until next time, keep exploring your future possibilities.